Blog Talk Radio. Hello. 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 Hey, hey. 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 Hello? Yep, Chris, you there? I'm here. You there? Another episode of the Podcast. I am off order along with Chris Lisa. Another glitch at the startup. Thanks to our wonderful partners at Blog Talk Radio, but we're, we're, we got it handled. We're on the air and we're live. Chris, the dirty sir. How are we doing over there? Oh, we're getting to it. We're getting to it. We're on the phone again, thanks to whatever's going on with the direct connect portion of Blog Talk Radio, but we're, we're here and we're ready to go. Well, sounds good. So why don't we uh, jump in a little Vegas lane, a little around the league. So, um, you know, uh, in looking at the upcoming draft, and, of course, the Golden Knights having the 17th overall pick, I've looked at some uh, recent mock drafts, updated mock drafts, and I've noticed a theme lately, and that is we've talked on this show about the possibility of the number one goaltender in this draft, Spencer Knight, the only goaltender, uh, with a first-round grade. In fact, I think the next uh, ranked goaltender, if you will, is one who has got a late second-round grade. So it's a bit a big divide after Spencer Knight and the next player. And we were talking about, well, Spencer Knight would seem like a, 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 a 
a strong option for the Knights at 17 if you were on the board. And, you know, I would say within the last month or so, most people had him on the board. And, you know, the Knights, uh, if you go to our friend Russ Cohen's Sportsology website, sportsology.com, he has a thing there of Spencer Knight having a, a strong showing at the draft combine. And lo and behold, this week I've seen a couple uh, new mock drafts, uh, one by the NHL.com where they have their three draft writers, and all three had the Florida Panthers picking Spencer Knight at 13, which I thought was interesting because I think the Panthers are the big favorites for Bobrovsky, which is kind of probably be a long-term deal. And that kind of, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure about that, but needless to say, that's what they thought. And then Larry Fisher, who does a great job for the HockeyWriters.com, uh, with his his final mock draft, he had Colorado one pick ahead of Vegas at 16, taking Spencer Knight, saying, you know, you know they don't really have much in the system a- after Grubauer, the time uh, Knight would be to develop, things of that nature. So um, it seems like that Spencer Knight being available at 17 is very much up in the air at best. Yeah, well, the thing with Florida is they want goaltender help now, and I guess it never hurts to build that goaltender pipeline. I don't know. There's two different philosophies. You don't take goalie in the first round because you have a three- to five-year window on when that pick may play. Usually players are available to go
But anyway, I mean, they, they, they they're, they're Miller. right. They still have interest in Colin Miller. So, yeah, point point being is I thought there was a very, very strong chance a couple of weeks ago that Knight would be there at 17 for them. And now I think it's, it's 50-50. You know, I think it's uh, – I think it's 50-50 at best. I, Florida, to me, seems strange. I mean, if they didn't sign Bobrovsky, I could see it. But if they're going to wind up giving Bobrovsky a seven-year type of deal, and, you know, Florida needs, needs doesn't have much in the prospect pipeline on the blue line, um, that quite frankly, they need to, that's an area they need to address with the main roster as well. It's off season. That's that's something they desperate their organization desperately needs, and there's going to be some really good players at 13 on the board who are defensemen. And if they just signed Bobrovsky for a seven-year deal, or about to, I should say, the drafts before July 1st. So I'm not totally sold that Florida would take Spencer Knight uh, if their plans are to sign Bobrovsky. That seems to be, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know. They, those two step moves would be out of balance with one another. Um, but you know, be that as it may, um, I'm not making the pick. You know, so uh, I, yeah. like I said, I think that would be a great pick for Vegas if they could get him. And George McPhee, like I said, I think he's gonna have a lot of good options. So I think unless there is a really good deal on the table where he he doesn't feel like he, you know. Uh, he could say, look, if he's there, we'll take him. If not, then, you know, we'll take Suzuki or, you know, we'll take Soderstrom or we'll take one of these, we'll take Hawley, we'll take one of these other guys who are going to be on the board. There will be a lot of good players uh, on the board at that spot. Yeah, for sure. And if it does get past Florida and he's single, he's trying to Say that again. Well, I'm just saying, do you try and jump into the 15 spot or the 14 spot if your indications are that Colorado is high on Spencer Knight? And do you try and jump in there or do you let the chips fall with him? Man, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is on. on well, I guess it comes down to how and, much. How much you feel, how strongly you feel about the player, and then compared to the other right. players. So if you're like, all right, we are really high on Sonnestr- oh, I'll just throw these names out: Sonnestrom, Suzuki, and Knight. Uh, if they're all there, we're going to take Knight. Um, but you know what? I have no problem taking Suzuki or Sonnestrom. I feel just as good about them as taking Knight. You might just like let the draft, fall, you know, fall. See how the draft falls to you. If you're, um, you know, batting eyelashes at Spencer Knight and for so many reasons on top of him being the best talent at that point by far and you're like, I want to go get him. I want to make sure I get him. You know, I mean, Vegas has a number of picks both this year and next. You know, they could, uh, in the second and third rounds, they could probably, probably, if they were willing to sacrifice one of those, um, to move up a couple of spots, um, and they have that kind of uh, um, dedication uh, tonight, and then go do it. You know, if they feel if you feel feel strongly about the player, go do it. Um, so uh, that's that's one of the advantages of having extra picks is you, you it gives you the opportunity to do that. For sure, for sure. Uh, and we'll get into that next week when we do our annual lottery picks, if if I'm correct on that. Yeah, next next Saturday is our annual mock uh, draft show. we got Mark Shike coming back once again. We have Dan Harrigan coming back once again. And uh, uh, so we'll be doing the first 15 picks same uh, process as the other, same format as the other years. Uh, Mark is going to, uh, actually Dan's going to lead off uh, with the show with the first pick with the Devils. Uh, Mark Scheich has got the second pick with the Rangers, and then I'm on the clock at three with the Blackhawks. So uh, we do a mock draft for the first 15 picks, and 
it's always uh, it's always a lot of fun. So uh, uh, with that, once we hit the news real quick, so we mentioned before about the Flyers gave up a fifth round pick for Kevin Hayes is right. Fifth round pick. We're not you know uh, we're talking about a very secondary pick, if you will. One thing I will will say though to keep in mind is. You know, the Flyers hired Elaine Vigneault, and Vigneault knows Kevin Hayes very well. So it would seem like they're going to make a big push to get him signed uh, before July 1st. So I guess we'll have to wait and see um, how that play uh, how that plays out. And then the other uh, – well, the other big oh, the other big news actually is the couples. But let's start with uh, Jeff Skinner last, last sometime last night, signed an extension with the Sabres, eight years. Nine million per full no move clause throughout the throughout the contract. Um, look, I mean, if you're Skinner, you get eight years unless Buffalo traded his rights. They were the only team that could do that. There's not a lot of players in this league who are making nine million or more. He's one of them now, and he's got the full no move, so he knows that he, you know, if something doesn't work out with Buffalo down the line, he's calling the shots. He also knows that. He's going to be protected for the expansion draft and so on. So uh, he's just 27 years of age. Obviously, he's coming off uh, an outstanding offensive year. Uh, the Sabres had a really disappointing year. They uh, they were one of the quiet oh, – not quiet. They were one of the nice surprises in the first two months of the season uh, this past year. And then they were either – they were either one of the worst teams from that point on in early December or the worst team in terms of in the standing. So uh, one up firing there, firing Phil Housley, bringing in a new coach. So they're trying to move forward. They once again have another top 10 pick. Uh, they're probably uh, tired of picking in the top 10. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah, so it's a good step for them to get Skinner signed and, um, and like I said, he's a he's a heck of a player. The only the only thing I would say about Skinner from a negative standpoint, it hasn't been an issue. I think in like almost three years now. If you remember, Mark, he he had a couple of really nasty concussions and missed some time in Carolina, going back a little ways. But that hasn't fortunately not going to been an issue these last few years. You always get you always worry about that kind of stuff when someone's had a couple of really nasty ones because. Uh, with concussions, and is it going to affect their career? And, and he he's been fine, so that's good. So that's the that's the only you know when you give someone an eight year deal at that kind of money, you always you always worry about things, right? What's what are they going to be like at the back end of the contract? How old are they going to be? Can they stay healthy? Just the general wear and tear, you know. In this case, he's had some a couple of nasty concussions. It's always a concern. Obviously, you want to make sure that. You know, when you sign a player to that kind of contract, that there's no worries. But it was a move Buffalo had to do, and uh, quite frankly, I think a good one. Let me, let me, uh, don't the, the concussion issue here, but he's played in, let's see, 77 or more games since the 2014 15 season. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a consistency thing when I was looking through uh, Justin's career that kind of brought a, a parallel to what George McPhee was going to with William Carlson between last season and this season and deciding what kind of a player you're getting and, and where to slot him in salary right. Um, if, if you go back to, and, and I'll just go to the, to the 14-15 and on, he had the strike here and there, and then he had the, the 64-game season in, in 2011-12. Um, and starting 2014-15, 77 games, 18 goals. And then 2015-16, 82 games, 28 goals, 51 points. And then in 16-17, 79 games, 37 goals, 26 assists, 63 points, a career high match this season. And then 17-18, 82 games, uh, falls off to 24 goals and 49 points. And then with Buffalo and Yad Eichel, um, when they were able to play together due to health concerns, um, 40 goals. So are you getting the $9 million a year player who can put up 37-40 goals in two of the last three seasons, or are you getting somebody who's 
going to be a 20 to 25 goal scorer in three of the last four seasons. Um, when when I draw that comparison to Wayne Carlson, who came over obviously from Columbus with six goals, um, and then busted out last season with 43 goals. Now, if Justin Steve felt like it was the time to sign him um, to a comparable contract. And then he fell back this season to the 20 plus goals that he scored. Um, people are going to be questioning a $9 million a year William Carlson. So I, I think Gunner from year to year needs to find a, a consistent level of being that 35 to 40 goal, 70 point guy. And at $9 million, he's never reached 70 points in his career. Um, most seasons he has more goals than assists. Um, certainly since the 2014-15 benchmark I put on that to qualify my statement here. Um, only one season, 2017-18, uh, he had 24 goals, 25 assists. But he, even last season, 40 goals, 23 assists. 2016-17, 37 goals, 26 assists. Um, so you, you'd like to see him develop a little bit more of a a part of his game as well as being, you know, one of the best snipers in the league when he's on. And for $9 million a year, you probably have to overpay it. It's a great hockey market, one of the best in the National Hockey League. That, that being said, probably have to sweeten the pot a little bit. You know, like you think about the market or, or whatever. Uh, so, some guys like to go over Joel Smith to play in, in high files. My question to that is, are we going to be a goal scorer? Is that three years down the road? Um, you're you're going to go moving that? Or is Skinner now settled in with Eichel for where we can count on him to have uh, 35 to 40 goals? And, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's the rub. I mean, he picked he picked a good year to have his best statistical offensive season, and you know that's the that's you know always the thing about uh, waiting to this point to sign any player uh, is if they have a huge year, you're going to you're going to pay for it. Um, and also, I think uh, I don't know if you brought this up directly or indirectly by mentioning William Carlson, but um, maybe. I could be wrong just thinking outside the box. <laughs> you know, maybe Buffalo signing Jeff Skinner to this contract made signing William Collinson a little bit more difficult for Vegas. Not that he's going yeah, anywhere, sure. but he, he, he could, you know, if, he, if if you're his agent and William Collinson says to you, well, wait a minute, um, what if we take the one-year deal through arbitration, so I'll make whatever, $6 million, 6 and change, and then I'll be I'll be slated to become a UFA after next season. And what if I, you know, bounce back to what I did last year, which was a 40-goal season and 70 to 80 points? Um, can I expect, and I think Colson is 26, if memory serves correct, so I think he will be in that 27 range uh, next year. Uh, can I – do I have a good chance of getting a contract similar to Jeff Skinner if not with Vegas with, with somebody? And the answer it, to that it, question is probably yes. So I agree, uh, he had one 40-goal season. Carlson has one 40-goal season. In his, his so-called down year this season for William Carlson, he's 20-plus goals. Um, and last season, uh, Jeff Skinner was, was 20 goals. Um, 28. I'm looking at it right now. 24 goals last season, 49 points. So, and William Carlson being a centerman, obviously he's taking faceoffs. Obviously he's got a higher assist ratio and 30 more points than what Skinner put on the board last season, 49 to 76. And William Carlson's um, Selkie nominee, is right? Wonderful back checker. Wonderful defensive in his own end. They put him out on the penalty kill. They put him out on the power play. And, you know, even strength, he's fantastic. You could have Carlson. 
Joshua Mormon and what Skinner is is how it is not here. Do you if you Chris? I hear you now. Oh, okay. Good, good. But yeah, if you if you want no, to No, I I think those are those are all good points. Yeah. I think those are all excellent points. And look, I mean, there's something to be said, though. If if Vegas offers, or if this is for anybody with player with any team, he's got one year to go. He knows he's going to get one more year at whatever. Let's say call it six million. Uh, that's all he's guaranteed for. Um, but if you're William Carlson and Vegas comes to you, says we would like to sign you to an extension now. And, you know, I'll just throw a number. Let's say they offer you, you know, $40 million, six years at six and a half or whatever, $40 million just to throw a number out. That's guaranteed money on the table. There's something to be said, you know, for that. Now, he might look at it and say, wait a minute, I could get, uh, you know, uh, I could get maybe even though I, only Vegas can offer me eight years, I could get on a seven-year deal, you know, what Skinner got if I bounce back with a big offensive year and get $65 million. That's a big difference between $40 million and 65. Everyone's different, um, you know, so we'll have, to, we'll have to keep an eye out how those negotiations go and, and, uh, and those kind of things. And, uh, but it's something to keep in mind in terms of, you know, Skinner's number. And then also – so offshoot Skinner's number, uh, we get to Patrick Line, you know, who uh, just en- finished his entry-level contract, and word on the street is he basically told Winnipeg, uh, you know, I want $10 million a year or I'm going to explore all other options, whatever that means, and uh, which could mean signing as an RFA, which hasn't happened, you know, probably since the Clinton administration, Um uh, you know, to another another team, um, uh, you know, he could demand a trade, I guess, theoretically. But if you're Patrick Line and you're like, well, wait a minute, if Jeff Skinner's getting $9 million a year, then, I mean, at $10 million, I'm a bargain. Um, you know, so that's another story we have to watch. And then finally, to wrap up this segment, uh, Tale of Hole, the Tale of Hole news, or is it news or is it or is it not news? And that is the fourth period this week came out saying that, you know, Taylor Hall and his representatives for the Devils, he doesn't have an interest in signing a long-term deal with them. Um, and then the Devils kind of quashed that and it supposed, I think, his agents as well. But, you know, that is at least up, you know, that's at least up in the air. And, you know, they do have the number one pick. And, again, Taylor Hall is coming off an injury-plague season. I mean, the Devils are the only team that can give him eight years. It would only behoove him, if he doesn't sign this summer, then then uh, something's up. Because, uh, at best-case scenario, he's very unsure if this is where he wants to be. Because if you're the player, and assuming the Devils are going to any up, why 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 would you why would you not want to sign now? You know, you and once you step on the ice, an injury. I mean, look, if he were to have the same season next year as he did this past season, where he basically played half a year, that would be two years in a row of an injury play year. It was it would severely hurt his value. Um, so in terms of getting, we're talking about a monster monster contract. So, you know, that's another thing to follow. Kind of puts the Devils. If the Devils can't get him signed now, come early July, I mean, I think, and you know, speaking from an Islander fan perspective, I think it would behoove them to explore all options and what what kind of uh, value, trade value, can they get for Taylor Hall? <laughs> so these are all things to watch. In addition to. Uh, the things we already knew about in terms of the free agencies and the other uh, uh, other possible trade scenarios buzzing around the league. There, there seems 
it seems like there this could be one of the most active off seasons we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, especially if the start um, seriously entertaining offices. Um, that's it's in the collective bargaining agreement for a reason. Yeah, there's a bunch of kids coming out of that draft class here that are going to be moving their entry level contracts and looking for an extension. And if that, if Liner kind of breaks the ice on the offer sheet situation, and that becomes more of a normalized process in the NHL. Um, man, look out! I gotta see. <laughs> I gotta see someone sign an an RFA to a big deal first to believe it. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that we haven't seen one in in a while. And you know, at the end of the day, it raises everyone's salaries. Uh, you kind of yeah. draw bad you draw bad blood from another team, and maybe they'll go after your guys down the line. And quite frankly, those teams have to match. You know what I mean? Like, I know Toronto's in a crunch with uh, with uh, uh, their cap, but they cannot let Mitch Morner walk away, even if it was for four first round picks. Okay, which is the threshold. I think over ten and a half million dollars. Uh, anything yeah. over a ten and a half million annual value, they they just can't. I, I don't care if someone tomorrow, uh, someone on July first signed Mitch Morner to. I think that the, the max someone could sign him to is fifteen million and change, which would totally destroy. Or I talk about putting a monkey wrench uh, on top of a monkey wrench in the lease. They would they have to match it. They could possibly match it. They could well, they would have to. They would have to, and then figure out. They can't let Mitch Marner walk for draft picks, given the space and time that they're at. It, neither can a lot of these others. You just can't have a, a player like that. So I got to see someone out. I got to. You know, we've been hearing about it all year about the possibility of. I just. You know what? I I I, I got to see it first. But one thing's for certain with with. Where we're headed with a lot of these contracts, which I don't have a problem with, but it's gonna be—it's unfortunately gonna get more anxious in terms of for the next collective bargaining agreement. So, uh, you know, the the owners are probably not thrilled with the system. They gotta be—they're obviously thrilled with the system where they have poor certainty. But at the end of the day, you know, having to pay someone off their entry level contract a franchise contract at that point. I don't know if they're thrilled with it at that point. But that's, you know, that that's a podcast and a, and a half in, it, in itself. But, uh, yeah, you know, we'll wait We'll wait and see if this – I think this offseason for certain free agency is always a huge story. I think trades is going to be a very big story, obviously. I would say i got to wait and see to see if signing someone else as a restricted free agent is – is a story or two or three. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Oh, I got a little something in my in my throat there. Well, let's move on to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. Um, St. Louis is taking a three to two lead from the St. Louis with a chance to play back Boston Bruins in Game Six. Uh, once again, we have controversy on the game-winning goal, the eventual game-winning goal, Tyler Bozak. Uh, no call on the trip slash slew foot. Uh, seconds later, the, the set goal for the Bruins is in the back of the net. The Bruins were able to get one later in the third, but couldn't get the equalizer. Um, do we want to get into the refereeing in this year's playoffs, Chris? Because that was... That was egregious. Another egregious call, and this one in the Stanley Cup final that may 
I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Okay, so it's a one nothing game. Let's say they call the penalty. Let's say the Bruins capitalize and score, and now you got a tie game 1-1 instead of 2-1 with eight minutes left. Yeah, no, it's it's been rough. It's been it's been it's been a lot of it's been a lot of uh, bad calls at bad times, the key times, and um, look, I keep saying like as a team you have to overcome these things, and uh, but yeah, it's been rough. I mean, it hasn't been a great look for the league. Um, uh, it's. It, it, it's you know, at this point it is if you're the Bruins, like St. Louis did with the hand pass, you got to just turn the page. I mean, look, you're up against it, and um, and move on. You know, so uh, but uh, I would hope when the dust settles on this season and the competition committee gets together, uh, say, you know, we we got to do better. How how can we put ourselves in position? Uh, to do better um, instead of people talking about some really uh, rough calls in these key games. So, um, you know, one thing I will say, and I kind of said this at the beginning of the leading the series and previewing it is what is, what has impressed me about both clubs is when they really needed to step up throughout these playoffs, they have. And, you know, we've seen, um, we've seen this in, in the series from, you know, St. Louis, they get blown out at home in game three, and then they 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 bounce back and win the next two uh, with gritty effort. Now it's Boston's turn. You know, obviously they're they're up against it. They're they're away from um, their home ice in game six tomorrow night. They have to come up with a big effort to make this a one game series. One game takes all. They they did do that in in uh, the series against. Toronto. They did that in the series against Columbus. Uh, St. Louis has done it throughout all their series. Um, so now it's now the question is it's their turn. Kudos to Char, probably pl- playing with a broken jaw. I mean, ay ay ay. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Obviously, St. Louis P- won't Pavelski have Auburn tonight. Yeah, Pavelski did the same thing against right. uh, the Golden. Obviously, was still broken throughout the rest of the Sharks playoff run, but. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, uh, ridiculous to get out in a, in a. I mean, my my wife even said he's playing with a broken what? And I said, yeah. And she goes, that's yeah, just proves I mean, that hockey players are tougher than football players because if a football player had a broken jaw, he'd be out the whole season. And she's right. Yeah, and it's you know he had a couple of hits and you know you know any kind of thing where your body jars and you have a broken jaw. Yeah. I mean, Hey, uh, uh, anyway, uh, give me the shape. Yeah. But one thing I want to say a point that I wanted to make about the Blues and, and and what a fantastic job Craig Berube has done throughout these playoffs. When you go back and look at, at uh, the Blues, they win, and you know, in their first round series, they go up two nothing on the road in Winnipeg, and then come back to three and four and and lose both home games, and and Winnipeg was a one of the favorites to come out of the West and, and maybe win the Stanley Cup. And you're thinking, okay, that's, that was a nice run for the Blues. And then they go and win game five and six, move on to the second round. And let's not forget in the in the second round series, uh, they were down 3-2 to the Blues, or to the Stars, I mean. And yep. then come back and take game six. They won game six on the road. And, and game six on the road, and then the double overtime winner in game seven to advance to the conference final. And, you know, they were down 2-1 after the hand pass game, losing that at home um, in overtime, and then, you know, rallied three straight, outscoring San Jose 12-2 to over that span. And just to, just as, as Barubi handled the mental state of his team after that hand pass. He's also handling the matchups in this Stanley Cup final. And, and yeah, once again, in the final, they're down uh, right off the get-go, one nothing, and then 2-1 after getting smoked in game three. 
Um, one, one of the things Bruby's done very well is match up that Bruins top line. And if, if I'd have told you at the start of the series, Chris, that Pasternak, Marshawn, Krejci, and why am I blanking on it? Did you say Bergeron? Bergeron. Yeah, 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 Bergeron. There we go. Would not have any even strength points in this series to date. Um, the I, you know, you you just said the Bruins would be in a lot of trouble. It, it widely recognized as the top line or the one of the best top lines in the game, and the chess pieces and the defensive job that the Bruins or the Blues have done on that top line and those four players too, because Krejci is certainly a big cog in that machine um, to hold all four of those guys off the board, even strength. It's just stretched. We said, you know, in our preview and, and you know, basically everybody, but um, your main point was St. Louis needed to stay out of the penalty box and through the first three games, uh, they certainly did not. And the farther they go into the series, the, the more Baruby moves his, you know, matchups around a little bit and, you know, keeps his guys focused and playing a disciplined brand of hockey. Um, there, And we the, the key for the Blues that we talked about was that their top players have to be their top players. And Ryan O'Reilly has stepped up here. And we'll, I'll stick on my theme of even strength scoring. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly with three even strength goals, five even strength points, uh, game-winning goal at even strength. Uh, Peter Angelo, we talked about the defensive scoring from St. Louis was going to be a key. Um, also, three even strength points. Seven of the top ten players in the series on even strength scoring are on the Blues roster. You have Nordstrom, Coyle, and Corrali representing Boston. Um, the rest of them are, are the big boys on St. Louis that we said had to step up and, and, and they have in the Stanley Cup final. Shin, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Peter Angelo, um, Bozak, they're all leading the way with even strength scoring and being able to shut down Boston even strength. If they don't get a contribution even strength from one of those four players, preferably more, then I think the series is over tomorrow. Yeah, I would, I would say with three three quickies um, as we wrap up, and that is one. Let's also not forget that the Blues in in round one against Winnipeg was up two zero, and then came home and lost two games, and then uh, got get back on the beam, if you will, going to Winnipeg to close out that series. So that was not easy what they did uh, as well. Um, other other than the game three blowout uh, in this series, uh, Austin really hasn't hurt him on the power play, which was a huge key. In this series, now in that game alone, I think they scored four power play goals. So, if you look at the total statistics uh, for the Bruins power play this series, it, 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 it looks pretty good. But it really was all in one game. The other games, they they've done a really good job, and they won three out of four of those yeah. games. Uh, but over five in game one, and over five in game two. <laughs> but one thing I will say, that I'm interesting to watch is. The first 20 minutes, the first period of tomorrow night's game, I mean, let's think about this for a second. The Blues are in their own building. They've, it's been 50 or just about 50 years since they've been in the Cup Final. They're never trying to get their first Stanley Cup. Uh, there's a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of angst. This is, you know, not that they couldn't win a game seven, clearly. They've shown how good of a road team that they are. But this is a one-shot deal to do it at home. And I I wonder, you know, I, I, to me it's an opportunity if the Bruins can keep their heads down, come out, play a real strong road period, first period, road period, and, you know, get a, put their nose in front uh, like they did uh, in game three, uh, it could have a little bit of a snowball effect uh, against St. Louis, you know, play from ahead. So I think the first 20 minutes are going to be are going to be crucial. If St. Louis ever got out to a two nothing lead kind of thing, 
that place, uh, uh, I mean, that place would be beyond, would be, be beyond on fire. Along in, in St. Louis, being in the Stanley Cup final last losing it is is going to play a key role in in that locker room before the game in in keeping guys at that you know as even as keel as possible as you're going into a possible Stanley Cup winning scenario and you know he he, he has one of the guys has that experience of of losing a cup and knowing what it's like. I think that game three blowout was uh like you said, a lot of it probably didn't have some nerves. The only team we've seen him get yanked. And then the guys that have been there before had the snowball start and didn't know how to stop it. And they can learn from that game three. And the, the veterans who've been there before, like David Simon, can do, do, some, do, do their part to keep the, the nerves to a minimum. Just go, you know, Justin Williams has – Obviously, proven that he's a, a great game player. And his thing is is slow slow the game down. And he said that make sure that you're breathing, and don't try and do stuff that you can't do. Play your game and don't overreach. And if if Perron can give that message to the younger guys. And, and get through that first 20 minutes uh, evening or maybe, then I think St. Louis can probably finish things out tomorrow. Yeah, I don't have a good – like I said, I, I, I can go either – I can see either scenario either scenario playing out. Like I said, Boston, like St. Louis, has responded throughout these playoffs, and they they do have a heck of a team. And let's face it, when they scored that second – when they were up 2 nothing with about seven minutes to play, the way that game was going um, – you had to figure, well, this game's over. And then Boston scores, and all of a sudden, like, there was a wave, and they got through it. But, uh, you know, there was a couple yeah. of moments where you thought, oh, my God, they're going to tie it up. And then, so, I, I'm, you know, I think most people do feel that uh, St. Louis is going to find a way in game six, which I, I, I can't say is a wrong feel. Uh, but, uh, I, I still think it's a 50-50 contest. Sorry to be Sweden here, but, uh, you know, Boston has shown a lot in these playoffs, and, and quite frankly, their big guys, uh, you know, broken jaw, Chara, put him aside, but guys like Bergeron and Marshawn and uh, Pasternak, those guys, they, they got to come up with their – I know everyone's hurting, but, you know, at this point. But you know what? You can see the finish line now. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, there's at most two games left. So uh, you can see the finish line. So now, you know, you've got to give it every, everything you got and then some. So um, we'll see. We'll see well, what uh, happens. If, if, if the Blues can hold Marshawn on Costa um, off the score, even strength, then it's locked out for Boston. They, they need to come up collectively with the biggest team in the series, obviously. Um, is like you said, now or never, do or die, into the road, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Whatever, whatever cliche we want to throw at it, it's, it's now or never for for Boston and their big guns. And they're going they're gonna be asking themselves questions in a long off season if they can't get this done. Yep, yep. So okay, so next week we'll have our big mock draft show. So we'll be tweeting out some stuff about that. Be the same bad time, same bad channel, and we're looking forward to that. And everyone enjoy at least one more hockey game. Question is, will be there be one more, or will there be two more? So we'll we'll have a thought about that as well next week, and uh, and whatever else buzzes around the league. So um, uh, yeah, yeah. Before we so go, I wanted to ask you if you saw the uh, the Boston fans in the upper deck eating each other up after the game on videos of the big brawl. When they were, what, throwing stuff on the ice? No, no. There was brawls going on in the upper deck after that game. Boston fans against Boston fans, for the most part. There was uh, oh, one, I... one of the videos I saw, 
and it was the same loser's guy that kind of got into it with a Boston guy, but he was mostly state crime. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, I'm in, I'm in New York, so this is going to come off as an anti-Boston view, but, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe Boston is very, I'm sure they're very spoiled with their sports teams and how much they've won the last few years. No excuses. I think they were throwing stuff on the ice, someone can get hurt. I mean, it was pretty yeah. poor. Um, you know, fights in the stands. I mean, I mean, come on. Really? Um, yeah, it's pretty poor. Yeah, pretty poor uh, uh, all around, uh, to say the least. So, um, That's going to do it for this week. Um, like Chris said, our our, our Martin, we'll we'll, uh, we'll work in a little bit, maybe of the Stanley Cup. Uh, maybe we can log in ten minutes early and just wrap up the Stanley Cup final before we start our mock draft next year and the boys show up. We'll talk about that during the week and see if we can't do a little quickie wrap-up before we get started. The mock draft is always a good time. I always learn a whole lot about players from, from Dragon and, and Dan Harrison. They're both well invested in into junior hockey and and getting ready for the draft prospects. I know it's a big part of what Mark Scheich does and and it's it's it, it's fun for me as as the master of ceremonies because I don't have to put in the stress level of <laughs> to figure out who's still on the board and who's getting picked, and I just get to go through it and, and absorb everybody's comments on all these players. And then you know it's fun for me because like two or three years ago, three or four years ago, when we started doing this, that was how Chris came to be a part of the show. Was we uh, putting the post on the Buffalo reached out to Chris because we saw a mock draft that he did online and it was fantastic work as, as all of Chris's writing on. Make sure you go to INRF.com for Chris's latest uh, article that dropped this morning. It's on my Twitter feed. And, but that was our introduction to Chris was through a mock draft that he did and we had him on to talk about it and, and you know, things things went on from there when Tommy Chris was and then to go through those drafts and and see the kids, you know, grow into the National Hockey League, it's, it's a lot of fun to do, and I'm really looking forward to it this year. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and quite frankly, this, you know, after the first couple of picks, it's, this is a very, a lot of good players. It's a hard draft to figure out. And, and like, for instance, Chicago at three, uh, you know, is screaming to take this. It's, scream, it's screaming for them to take the center but is the best player on the board a defenseman. Uh, and then Detroit at six is screaming to take a defenseman, but there won't be probably one worthy to take at six. And, and yours truly has both of those picks. So, uh, yeah, you know, those perfect. are not easy, easy, easy picks to figure out, uh, to say the right. least. But, yeah, it'll be a lot of, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, all right, that's going to do it for this week. Tune in next week. Same back time, same back channel for all of my annual mock drafts. That's it for this week. So, Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone.